So you, probably most of you don't know that when we put together the sermon series, we do so quite a way in advance. And um, I think this sermon series in Matthew, we I pulled together in, I think about, I don't know, the autumn last year, I imagine, for October, November. And I don't really remember what passages I'm going to be preaching on, but that's, we set it up and off we go. So I was quite interested. I thought it was notable that when I came to look at this passage uh, this morning to see what I was going to be uh, preaching on, um, but it was uh, the one it is about, which is about faith. And um, we, we are waiting in anticipation of, of Rachel's preach review in two weeks' time, but we are stepping out in faith, as we have been for some time. But we are, it is very much about what we are doing as a church. So hopefully we can learn a little bit about faith from the centurion's example as he goes to Jesus and makes his petition of Jesus. <clears throat> in one of Rachel's emails uh, that we exchanged at various times in our various uh, times we met with her and talked to her um, she wrote this to the search team she said as you said no church or minister is perfect and both of us will be taking a risk but the thought of doing something new together with God is a bit scary but also very exciting Praying for you, she says, and the team and the church as we all continue to seek his face for his will. Every blessing. Stepping out in faith is a risky thing. <clears throat> we, we can't do stepping out in faith safely. I don't, I don't think we can. You know, maybe you know a way of doing that. <clears throat> but whatever we're doing in, in life, whether it's as church or as individual Christians, a step of faith involves a risk. But it is, I think, something that Scripture and the Lord expects of us. He calls us to follow him. He calls us to trust him. He calls us, he wishes to take us into a future that we cannot yet see. So we are, in one sense, walking into the dark, walking into the unknown, but I don't know if it's completely like that. Um, Martin Luther King again, actually, uh, he said, faith is about taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. Okay, faith is about taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. Acting in faith is, as it were, taking a risk in the name of Jesus. It's not a blind stab in the dark, but it's an intentional, prayerful step into the unknown, trusting in the faithfulness and the goodness of God. It's not just a blind stab in the dark. I like this slide. Uh, is it on there? Yeah, it is. I don't... Yeah, you can see, see it reasonably clearly. <coughs> it's an image of a man carrying a lantern. Um, faith is a little bit like that lantern. It's not a flashlight. You know these modern cars have such powerful lights. If you're driving towards them, they blind you. But, you know, you turn on the full beam and phew, you can see miles. Faith isn't like a flashlight. Faith, I think, is, is far more like a lantern which allows us to see where we're next going to put our feet, where the next step or two might be. But it doesn't allow us to see much further ahead than that. It reminds me a little bit of that Psalm 109, talking about the word. The word is a lamp to my, to, to my feet and a light to my path. Again, God gives us of his word daily, if we're willing to go and seek him for it, of course. And that can often be the light we need for the day doesn't tell us about what's going to happen next week, next month, or whatever, but it is enough. 
It's sufficient. It's like our daily bread in that sense. Faith is receiving that daily bread. So testing times, risky times, faith times. We need to continue to pray for wisdom, both for Rachel when she comes, obviously, and her family, and obviously for ourselves as a church. Following Jesus doesn't mean just sitting safely and comfortably at home. We live in a very comfortable society. It's a trap we can all fall into. It's comfortable at home for most of us, I imagine. But it means stepping out into the world because we trust in our sovereign Lord and we understand that he is already out there waiting for us to catch up and join him. Faith, I think, is only tested, exercised, strengthened as we are willing to use it. If we leave it, it's like a muscle. It'll grow flaccid. It'll grow weak. It'll become useless. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, we live, we live by faith, not sight. So I hope you might agree that this is, sounds like a quite a good passage for this morning. Faith is a word that is used fairly widely in the world, and depending on its context, it can mean quite different things. But having listened to that passage that Jenny read, what do you think Jesus was commending when he commended the centurion on his great faith? What do you think Jesus was saying? Any thoughts? Okay. Yeah, in general use, faith means confidence or trust in a person or in a thing or even an idea, in fact. In the context of religion, of course, faith means belief in God and normally the doctrines and teachings related to a specific uh, faith religion. We often use other words, don't we, like trust or belief as well in place of that word. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is recorded as both berating people for their lack of faith or their little faith, as well as commending others for their great faith. I'll give you a couple of examples of each. Um, Matthew 6 and verse 30. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not so much more clothe you or provide for you, O you of little faith? That's the passage I preached on last two Sundays ago about worry. And another example. um, Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? Who's he talking to? Peter. Yeah, Peter stepped out of the boat. Great step of faith. Had his eyes on Jesus, walking towards him. And then he looked around him. He got a bit disturbed by the storm. And he started sinking. And of course, Jesus took him back out. And then we have these examples where Jesus commends people for their faith. One is the example of today's reading. In verse 10 of our reading, when Jesus heard this, the centurion, what the centurion said, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And a bit later on, the story of the Canaanite woman who sought Jesus out to heal her daughter which actually has quite a lot of parallels, uh, in fact, with this particular story as well. Jesus answered her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that very hour. 
I wonder how the Lord feels about our faith this morning. Our faith as individuals, but importantly, actually, our faith as a body of Christ here in this church. You know, the, t- the two. I wonder how the Lord, you might want to ask yourself, I'm not going to ask you that question, <laughs> all right? But you might want to reflect on that a little bit yourself. You know, is your faith a muscle that you are using, and, you know, working with and struggling with and taking risks with, or is it a muscle that, frankly, has got a little bit comfortable? Um, that's for you to decide. And, but we also need to say, think about that as a church. You know, as a church, have we got a little bit too comfortable? Same question. It does seem in the scriptures, certainly if you read Matthew's gospel, that Jesus was more often uh, disappointed with people's faith than he is amazed at their great faith. And um, that isn't just the strangers, that applies to his disciples. It applies to the people closest to him. So it isn't just someone who's on the periphery of a church and maybe they've got little faith. It's actually his disciples he's often talking to when he, when he his, talks about these sort of things. But one of the people in Matthew's Gospel that is recorded where he commended them for their great faith is quite surprising, really. It's this story here. It's a Roman centurion. He's a foreigner. He's an alien. He's not a member of Jesus' inner circle. He's not a Jew. He's not someone who could claim God's covenant. He's a complete outsider, an unknown in one sense. And we're going to turn to that story now and just see what it can teach us here in 2024. I was going to say January, but it's not, it's February, isn't it? February the 11th, about this faith that was so warmly commended by Jesus. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion comes to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home, paralysed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. That's the translation we have. I'll come to that last one in a minute. So here we have, we have a, a centurion, you know, traditionally a man who led a, a, a military group of 100. Um, he's a Roman commander. He's a man in authority. But he's coming to Jesus because even with all that power and authority... He is faced with a situation that he knows he cannot resolve himself. I think this military leader is also a compassionate man, a man who cared about others. In that time, in his time, servants were often seen just as almost chattels, household belongings, things that you acquired, you used and you disposed of once their usefulness had expired. But this soldier, who is also described in Luke's account, in Luke 7, is a story of a God-fearer, someone who had an understanding of a Jewish nation and faith. And he sees another human soul, okay, a servant, but one created in the image of God, and is therefore moved by concern for him. Moved so much that he's willing to humble himself and to seek out a Jewish healer to do what he knew he could not do himself. The passage from Micah 6.8 came to me on that, on, in relation to the nature of this man, maybe a bit. He's shown you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly 
with your God. We also need to not miss out the fact that this step of faith by the centurion is a courageous act, requiring the conviction that this was the right way to go, even though many of his friends and military contemporaries and, and superiors and, and, and people who reported to him would have probably thought he was going a bit soft. As they come together, Jesus and the centurion, we need to take note of how different these two are. The racial, the cultural gulf that lies between them. A Roman centurion, a man of war, not peace, coming to an itinerant Jewish rabbi. Worldly power and authority submitting to someone who had neither. And the other thing I just want to note here is that last verse 7, which reads, Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. Um, it's probably more rightly translated, in a, and is in some versions, as a question. A question that would be rendered more as, and you want me to go and heal him? And I say this because Jews typically did not enter Gentile homes. It was forbidden because it would make them ceremonially unclean. In fact, the only time in Matthew's Gospel, I think, where Jesus enters a Gentile home is at his trial. Faith requires an attitude of humility from us towards the one in whom we put our trust. A willingness to put our will, our agenda, aside and say, your will be done. In his attitude of humility towards Jesus, and probably also mindful, maybe, of the need to maintain ceremonial cleanliness. The centurion replies to Jesus, Lord, I do not deserve you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Here we have this centurion, a compassionate, not only a compassionate man, but a humble man, a courageous man, but also a man of simple faith, who, standing before Jesus, knows he's not even worthy to make such a request of him. Again, a verse that occurred to me with that was the John the Baptist, where John the Baptist said, he is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. The centurion does not command Jesus to heal his servant, which he could have done as a man of authority. No, instead, he humbly petitions Jesus to heal his servant because of who in his heart, he believed Jesus to be a man of much greater authority. The centurion, um, as a military man, clearly understands what authority is all about. For I myself, he says, I'm a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And to that one, I say, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do it. And he does it. If only life was that simple, eh? <clears throat> but if he commands something, it will, no doubt, be done. He understands authority. But he clearly has great faith. A great faith that doesn't need Jesus, as it were, to walk into the door of this house, to turn up in person to heal his servant. Instead, it is a faith that simply recognises who Jesus is and knows that he has the authority. He has the authority to issue the word, and it will be done. 
So the centurion, a man of faith, a man of courage, a man of compassion, a man of humility, a Gentile of all people who amazes Jesus. So when I'm reading on in the passage, Jesus' response, we read, when Jesus heard this, heard this, he was astonished, amazed, and said to those following him, I'll tell you the truth, I've not found anybody in Israel with such faith, with such great faith. I say to you, that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus, I think, delights in the centurion's simple, matter-of-fact faith. It's a faith that is expressed not in a mass of words or doctrine or whatever, or on religious sort of items, but in the fact that he was willing to step out towards Jesus in faith and ask him plainly, simply, humbly. Again, it reminds me of another passage in Matthew 6, where Jesus says, When you pray, don't keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Prayers can be so simple. Jesus gives the centurion the accolade of having a greater faith than any he has yet to encounter in Israel during his life and ministry. I assume that includes his disciples. The I tell you truly, or in other versions, truly, truly, I tell you, is emphasised the importance now of what he is going to go on and say. The centurion's faith is the forerunner of the faith of many from the Gentile world who will come and place their faith in Jesus over the centuries to come. Men, women, children, from all tribes and all nations. From the east, from the west, doesn't say, but from the north and from the south. Come in to take their place at the feast with the Jewish patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. This end of days feast was understood by the Jews of the time to be an essentially Jewish affair, based on their faithfulness to the Old Covenant. But Jesus here shatters that understanding as he reveals it is no longer one where people are invited only based on their ancestry, their race, but it is based instead purely on their faith, faith in the name of Jesus. Paul in Romans 1, verse 17. For in the gospel, the good news, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Despite the Gentiles, the centurion's Gentile heritage, despite his probably often violent military profession, Despite many, many things that would have been so objectionable to any other Jew, Jesus responds to him simply because of the trust, the faith he has in Jesus who stands before him. We see this Gentile's simple act of faith as an example we're invited to share. A faith not based on works or right or wrong, but simply based on our recognition, our submission to the authority 
of Jesus Christ, Son of a living God, who would be both our Lord and our Redeemer. Peter declared in front of the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The centurion had come to that place where he placed his worldly status, his authority, his power at Jesus' feet, acknowledging who he was, who he is, and ever will be. The writer of Hebrews 12 and verse 2, so let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The centurion really had taken a great, great risk with his step of faith, but Jesus responded to him with grace and favour saying, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that very hour. Faith is simply trusting in who Jesus is, trusting in his identity and his ultimate authority. Believing in his name, fixing our eyes on him and following him step by step, day by day. So, we, so Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, it's passing. But what is unseen is eternal. So as Rachel said, stepping out in faith can be quite a risky thing to do. Quite, quite humbling. It requires courage. It can be scary. But when we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, it can be a very exciting thing to do as well. Are we, am I, ready to step out too? Amen.